Lord God, may everything we do, as I speak and as we listen, be for our strengthening and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. If I say the word inspirational to you, who comes to your mind? Well, all sorts of people, obviously. But on Monday, I took an assembly in a series on inspirational people. And I chose John Sentamu. He's a very colourful figure. He survived a sickly childhood in Uganda, was beaten and imprisoned because he took a stand against Idi Amin. He sought refuge in this country. And in the face of unpleasant, even life-threatening racist attacks, he moved up through the ranks of the Church of England to be appointed Archbishop of York. And when his appointment was announced, thousands of people wrote letters to him, letters to support him and encourage him. But some anonymously sent hate mail, smeared with excrement. And John said... You ask yourself, why has a person who has never met me done this? And because it's anonymous, I can't write back or invite them for a cup of tea. What grace. Instead, I pray for them, because that's what Jesus said to do. Letters, you see, sent for a purpose. Letters evoking a response. So why did Paul write this letter? And it would help if you haven't got it open that you find it on page 1,158. It's what we have as the second letter to the Corinthians, though Paul had written them at least one other letter. Remember, Paul founded the church in Corinth. Read about that in Acts 18. And he established it for over a year and a half. So he is writing to people he knows well and cares about. And when I read this letter through, and I would encourage you, if you could, at the start of the series to read the whole letter through, I feel the feelings of this man. Yes, there is a lot of theology. There is a lot of teaching about God, but it's theology in the flesh. Now, at this point, when he writes, the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians is very strained, to such a degree that the Corinthians are doubting his authority as an apostle, even his identity as a Christian. Now, where is this coming from? Well, clearly, Paul had his opponents within the church, so their exact identity is unclear. But reading between the lines, what they've done is they've stirred up negative stuff about Paul over several issues. In the later part of today's passage, Paul addresses their complaint that he's fickle, that his word cannot be trusted. He's constantly changing his mind because he's changed his plans over when he would visit them. Later in the letter, Paul defends himself faced with criticism that he's too weak, he's too unimpressive to be an apostle, that he suffers far too much, that he may even have acted a bit dishonorably in financial matters. But this letter is not about Paul being prickly. 
or taking things too personally. Paul does care deeply about restoring his relationship with the Corinthians, but it's for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Time and again, Paul challenges them. Look out for them as we go through the letter. Are you judging things from a worldly point of view or from God's perspective? Are you looking only on the surface of things? We have it here, verse 12. Paul's talking about how he's behaved towards them and he says, We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. Implication, which way are you going to judge us? Is it by worldly wisdom, just how it looks on the surface, or is it by God's grace? Because God, God's character, God's priorities, God's activity is the context within which Paul sees the whole of life. And that's what he invites us to do as we begin to read this letter. Now, the Corinthians, of course, would not have been readers. They would have been listeners. So just for a moment, shut your eyes so you can't see the text. No cheating. And just listen. I'm just going to read a few verses. Just listen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Okay, you can open your eyes again now. So, what is the word that would have hit you from the start? Can we shout it out? Great, I'm glad you got the same one I got. (laughs) Comfort. Paul writes to comfort with God's comfort. Comfort with God's comfort. It all begins with God. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. It is God's nature to be compassionate. God's nature to express comfort. And Paul's response to worship him. Now, how does Paul know that this is what God is like? Through his own personal experience. God is the God of all comfort, verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received from God. Now, in this letter, Paul frequently refers to himself as we, not I. So just hold on to that. And when he writes of all our troubles, this guy knows what he's talking about. He speaks in verse 8 of the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia, of being under great pressure. Verse 10, of deadly peril. And as we read on, we come to chapter 11, when he mentions imprisonment, floggings, beatings, stoning, shipwrecks, persecution, danger, danger, danger. 
but God's comfort, he says, is equal to them all. Do you see the balance? The God of all comfort comforts in all our troubles. All, all. In other words, there is no trouble or affliction or tribulation or suffering which God is not able to comfort his people in. So what does this comfort look like? Well, the word comfort might suggest to us someone saying kind words, someone wiping away our tears. But it's more than that. The original Greek word is parakaleo, which literally means to call alongside. So it's about being present with someone alongside them in the midst of whatever is happening. And that presence is itself strengthening. Come fought. Come to be with, fought to fortify or to strengthen. Now Paul experienced that directly with the presence of God as he endured that catalogue of troubles. And we can too experience we're never alone. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. But Paul also speaks of being a mediator of God's comfort to the Corinthians. End of verse 4. So that we can comfort those in any trouble, it actually says all trouble, with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Picture an irrigation pipe. The comfort flows in at the top from the source through the pipe and passed on to the thirsty ground. You see, Paul interpreted everything that happened to him as being for the benefit of others. Hear the Corinthians, verse 6. If we're distressed... It's for your comfort. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. Now, the Corinthians were only able to hear the gospel in the first place because Paul had endured threats and persecutions. Now, they can be comforted and strengthened because Paul has come alongside them in the words of this letter. And that's in the face of their rejection and criticism. So Paul praises God, not only for the comfort God's presence brings, but for the privilege of being the overflow of God's comfort to others. Because what this comfort actually does, end of verse 6, is to produce in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Not necessarily escape from the sufferings, but patient endurance of them. It energizes us to stick it out and not give up. And when God's people keep going amidst tribulations, that in turn brings praise to God. So how might we comfort with God's comfort here at Holy Trinity? For we have people here who have endured troubles for the gospel during Passion for Life. Keep in mind it's about being alongside 
to strengthen. Now, sometimes it's right for us to do that literally and physically. We hold someone who is suffering in our arms and we stay with them through their physical or emotional pain. And we allow our presence to incarnate, to feel like the presence of God. But often that's just not possible, as it wasn't for Paul. But we too can send cards or emails or texts or phone. And they can be very real ways of being alongside. So let's be creative Let's use, just like Paul did, all the means of communication available at our disposal to comfort with God's comfort. Secondly, Paul wrote these verses to remind them God raises the dead. God raises the dead. This is the central truth of the Christian gospel that Christ died for all, and then God raised him from the dead. And that what God has done for Jesus, he is able to do and he will do for all those who put their trust in him. It puts everything else in perspective. And this is exactly what had happened for Paul in his recent hardships. Paul doesn't specify the details of those hardships. Clearly, all we need to know is that they were extreme. End of verse 8. Far beyond our ability to endure. Indeed, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Now, we all know we will die. We might die at any moment. But Paul had looked death in the eye and it felt very close. What effect does that have on Paul? Verse 9. But this happened that we might rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Looking in the face of death, Paul knows for certain that God raises the dead. Therefore, death is not the end. Therefore, he need not fear. Therefore, he can and he does rely on God and not on himself. When times are easy and comfortable, we tend, don't we, to look to our own resources to sustain us. But it's in desperate straits that we're given the opportunity to realize how inadequate our resources are and then to depend on God. And in that sense, extreme hardship or the prospect of death is a gift. Tough gift, but a gift with the potential to sharpen our hope in God. Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Now don't forget, 
Hope in the Bible is not used of wishful thinking. It is used of faith-based certainties. That God is the deliverer. God is the rescuer. Because that is what God is like and that is what God does. Now on this occasion, God delivered Paul by rescuing him out of that suffering. In the sufferings, the hardships he talks about in verses 4 and 5, God delivered Paul by strengthening him in those situations. And in the future, God will deliver Paul by raising him from the dead. The point is that the worst that can happen to us has already been overcome by the God who raises the dead. So Paul writes for us to know the God of all comfort alongside. To be certain that God raises the dead. And finally, to pray to the God who answers prayer. Like comfort, prayer is an area where we can be involved in each other's lives for good. Where we can come alongside to strengthen. End of verse 10. Paul keeps setting his hope that God will deliver him as you help us by your prayers. Literally, as you joining in, helping on our behalf by prayer. With the result, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. The togetherness is key here. Prayer is believers working together with each other, lifting their faces, lifting their voices to God, and in this case, interceding for someone who needs deliverance. And then, when we see answers to those prayers, joining together in giving thanks to God, we are not meant to be independent believers. We are to be humble enough to ask for others' prayers. We are to be generous enough to offer each other our prayers. For example, someone I know had a friend, I'll call her Susan, and she was going through a really tough time, felt desperate. But as my friend didn't live nearby, she offered ongoing support to Susan by committing to phone her once a week. And every time she phoned, she prayed with Susan over the phone. And that, said Susan, was what kept her going. So again, what about a text to someone this week? Or a card? Or a phone call? saying you're praying for them? What about sharing with the prayer ministry team when you know God has given you answers to your prayers? All of this comforts, since when we pray, that strengthens our faith in God and our bonds of affection with each other. I want to finish with some words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and pastor imprisoned by Hitler and executed in concentration camps shortly before the end of the Second World War. He writes in prison, I believe that God can 
and will bring good out of evil, even out of the greatest evil. For that purpose, he needs people who make the best out of everything. I believe that God gives us all the strength we need to help us to resist in all time of distress, but he never gives it in advance, lest we should rely on ourselves and not on him alone. A faith such as this should allay all our fears for the future. I believe that God is no timeless fate, but that he waits and answers sincere prayers and responsible actions. Let's pray. And as you pray, you might like to just sit with your hands open in your lap. Because I'm just going to speak some words from God to you. And I want you to receive them as God speaking to you by name. I am your God, and I am with you. I am your God, and I raise the dead. I am your God, and I will be with you to strengthen you. For some of us, God knows that it's taken all you have just to be here. And you just receive that strengthening from him. But there are some of us that God wants to prompt into action. And just allow yourself in the silence to hear from God any name, any person that he wants you to come alongside to strengthen. And ask him how he might want you to do that. And now may God strengthen us to his glory. Amen. Amen.